Good morning. Well, I'm flying solo. Well, I have Ken. Ken's a huge help. Steve is still adjusting. Everybody heard his mom passed away. So if you, uh, if you see Steve or you think about it, pray for him. The funeral's Monday in Tulia. And so we're, we're going to go as a church, as a staff, um, to try to do the best that we can. But his, his mom was, was a neat lady and a huge influence on Steve. So remember him, pray for him. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll do our best, though, today to continue on. So let's have a quick word of prayer. And we'll jump into it. Okay. Father our God, we stop for a minute and remember our brother Steve. You've told us all that death will come before we're ready, like a thief in the night. And sometimes, O oh Lord, we don't know whether to fear that thief or welcome that thief, especially when those that we love suffer. But we give you thanks that you are God. And we're not. That when the time is right, you do come again. And you brought Steve's mom, Sue, home. Help us all, O oh Lord, to learn from this. Death will come before we're ready. So if we still have moms and dads, may we spend just a little time today reaching out to them. If they've already gone on, Lord, we give you thanks for them. And Look for a little time today when we can remember them. We don't know, Lord, but we know they are with you, and we know that love transcends even this world. So help us love continually those even that we've lost. Open our eyes, our hearts today as we study your word. May it be the foundation in which we walk today. The truth that we hear first from you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. We are still flying our way through Mark chapter 1. But Jesus has started work. There was a lot of preamble. He went to John the Baptist. He went out in the wilderness, was tempted. He's called some disciples. But now he is beginning what will be about a three and a half year process when he travels mainly in Galilee, he'll do visits to Jerusalem, but mainly in Galilee. And he is teaching, as they say, his yoke. He is he's teaching his, as a rabbi's understanding of Scripture. This is what rabbis generally did. They traveled around itinerantly, kind of like Methodist ministers, and they uh, would give either the school of thought they had been trained in or their particular interpretation. So they would travel from synagogue to synagogue, teaching on Saturdays, giving their interpretation, their explanation of what these ancient words meant. So we pick up in verse 21. Jesus and his... Mine says companions. What does yours say? <laughs> yeah, that's not good. But anyway, Jesus and his disciples went to the town of Capernaum. If you're with us on Wednesday nights, you know we've been visiting Capernaum. It is uh, 
the old Hebrew uh, Kafar Nahum, the village of Nahum. Uh, it's one of these fishy towns, I like to call them. These are boom towns that grow up in the North Galilee. The whole area in Galilee is really segregated. So you have Jewish towns, and then you have Greek and Roman towns, and they really don't mix. People might come together to do business, but they don't live in the same place. So you look at the, the region, and just the whole region, but especially around the Sea of Galilee, the north tends to be Jewish, where the sides uh, and the bottom are all Gentile. So Capernaum is up north. It's the largest city in the Jewish section. It's probably about a 1,000 people. Now, these are always wild estimates. Um, but we talked about it before. Um, the Romans love their fish sauce. Remember that? Garum. I love Asian food, but uh, boy, when they whoop out that fishy sauce, like uh, Vietnamese food, woo! Who killed the cat? Let the door. I'm sorry, that's terrible. But, I mean, Germans eat bad things too. I mean, uh, you start talking about blood sausage and it smells just as bad. But um, the Romans had this particular odor. So, it's coming from the fish sauce. You have this whole industry amongst the Jews, though, that's developed catching fish. Jews are not normally fishermen. In fact, as again, we talk about on Wednesday, uh, bet tzeda. Uh, tzeda is the word for hunter in Hebrew. Um, they don't have a word for fisherman. So the closest they can get is hunter of fish. <laughs> so when Jesus says, be a, a fisherman of men, he's really saying, be a hunter of fish. <laughs> Which That's a great sermon. I should preach that. Hunt the fish. Anyway, uh, so Jesus is up there. Uh, every Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue and taught the people. So they, they like what he's saying. Uh, they're, they're not being shocked. They're not being horrified. Sometimes we get misconstrued what the reaction was to Jesus, um, at least here. And it, it's not a, um, it's not like a job. They're going to keep him as long as they're enjoying it, as long as they're learning something. So Capernaum really becomes Jesus's home. Uh, it ends up bad in Nazareth for him. The people try to kill him. Which is, you know, when you go back for family reunions or high school reunions, it goes that way, doesn't it? It's it just, well, that's my ex-girlfriend. Okay, here we go. Um, so Capernaum is, is his place. And then we get into 22. They were amazed at his teaching. For he taught as one who has real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Okay. Normally I think, ah, let's let people have their take on, but I'm getting old and grumpy. Uh, this is like the most abused part of the Gospels. Jesus teaching with authority. You have to understand this is in context to what a rabbi is doing in a synagogue. Think in terms of sports all of the descriptions that we give players. Um, my son's a tennis player, and so he always talks about uh, the pushers or the backboards. 
um, which is a person that always, the ball is going out, but they hit it back in. So that's considered poor form. But if you were literally translating a pusher in English, would you get, it's not somebody who pushes, but it's somebody who hits it back in. Um, in soccer, you have a sweeper. So if I literally translated a sweeper, what would I say? Um, and, and none of these are fun. In a thousand years, can you imagine how they're going to translate tight end in football? What exactly was the tight part of that end? I mean, you see what I mean? If you don't know the context a little bit, it gets a little, well, I'm literal in my translation. Okay, but it's, it's context that, that matters. So when they say the rabbi has authority, we have to sort of check our, oh, well, he speaks with a deep voice, or he knows what he's talking about, or all these things that would maybe make sense in English with the use of the word authority. Pretty much throw that out the window. It's a specific kind of thing they're noticing. Um, and I think I have the slide that we used on Wednesday. So typically, when a rabbi would begin to speak, uh, this is actually a direct quote uh, from the Talmud of how the rabbis would introduce their comments. Rabbi Eliezer said in the name of Yohanan, the Ben Sakai, who taught in the name of Hillel, the elder, what he had heard from his teacher, Abtalon. So they would give you this breakdown that I was trained by this teacher who was trained by this teacher. And what they're always trying to do is get you to one of these guys, Hillel or Shammai, which are the two, two big camps. These are like the Republicans and the, the Democrats. These are the two schools of thought amongst the rabbis. So they're going to show their pedigree. They're going to show the education for you. That's what they normally do. Jesus does not do that. And that's the first thing that people go, oh, well, this is different. Now, it's not unheard of, and they'll put him in a special category because he does it. But Jesus breaks with this mold, and he does two things that sort of shock them. He starts to say, I teach you, which... They're like, eh. usually they, they, they give us this long list of their teachers and their teachers and their teachers. Jesus isn't doing that. He's saying either I or he'll just go directly to the Scripture. So what they were hearing and why they say, in Hebrew they say shimcha, um, that you have this new new school, new new thought, new thing. And so they, they talk about Shimcha, and I don't know how to translate it. Authority. It, I don't know if I'd translate authority, but it's um, something new, something different, uh, something that's more biblical. Maybe is a better way to do it. So the the rabbis notice that with certain individuals. They don't have to quote their teachers. Uh, did Joshua preface every word he taught with the words, thus did Moses tell me? Uh, no. Joshua sat and taught without ever mentioning the name of his teachers. But everyone knew that his teaching was the Torah of Moses. So did Rabbi Yochanan, we quoted him, um, disciples Rabbi Eliezer sit and teach without ever mentioning his teacher's name but everyone knew that his teaching was Rabbi Yochanan's 
So this is what they say when they're talking about authority. Um, that what we're hearing is coming from such a, a place, and maybe this is where translators are getting it, is coming from such an authority, i.e. God, that it's different from what we've heard before. Jesus is not in either one of these camps. He's not Hillel or Shammai. Uh, Hillel is the more liberal, even though that sounds weird to our ears, it's the Pharisees' school of thought. Um, the, the, the Pharisees were sort of driven to make the Bible so relevant that they keep adding rules. Uh, they're, they're trying to make it easier by telling you exactly what to do, uh, which is, is frustrating. Jesus gets a little miffed. And then Shammai which is more dominant where Jesus comes from, is the more conservative, and they're more traditionalist. It's been this way, we're not going to change it. Sort of the, the classic uh, breakdown, uh, Shammai will say, you really shouldn't get a divorce. Um, it's, it's just not, it's not a good thing. The Pharisees will come along and say, well, Moses said that we could have a divorce, so if... You, you don't like this, you don't like that, then you can write a letter to your wife and then you could uh, declare it publicly um, that you, you want to get rid of your wife, all these things. So the, the Hillel will create rules and Shammai will say basically don't do it. So I, I know that's a lot. Jesus is in between the two, but he really gravitates a lot of times more towards Shammai, and I think that's where he grew up. But all to this point, Jesus is teaching them in a different kind of way. And it's more, I don't want to say like a final interpretation. Uh, Jesus isn't just continuing this long tradition of this guy said, this guy said. He's saying the answer really is. This is what um, God really intended. So does that make sense? Does it matter? I don't know. Uh, this is uh, the sort of the first introduction these guys have to, wait a minute, this guy isn't just uh, another run-of-the-mill. Not that rabbis would ever be run-of-the-mill, but he, he's, he's something different. And then, of course, we'll see, uh, just in the next breath, uh, he is a, a rabbi plus. First they think he's a miracle worker, then they think he's a prophet, and then they begin to think of maybe the M-word, the Messiah. Could you give us a better explanation of the word yoke? <sighs> yeah, it's, that, that's complicated, too. So everybody knows what a yoke is, right? Um, you, you put it on an animal in order, usually oxen is where this comes from, so that the animal can distribute the weight that they're pulling behind them. Uh, depending on what you're pulling, the animal actually can't do it because it's not built to pull what you want it to. So you have to put something on the animal to use its strength in its shoulders in order to pull it. So very agricultural theme. The Jews understood that in Egypt they were slaves and they had a yoke. And so the Egyptians put this yoke on them to do the work and it was miserable. So when they left Egypt, 
They were free. But the hardest thing they knew was that we've got to put on another yoke or somebody will put on a yoke for us. That usually as soon as you're free, you end up enslaving yourself. So they'll teach, you got a choice. You could put on somebody else's yoke, i.e. another person will tell you what to do, or you can put on God's yoke. And the idea of the Bible is God putting a yoke on you. It's not that he's trying to enslave you. It's that he's trying to give you that tool you need to pull what you need to in life. So rabbis would come along and say, let me show you what God's yoke is as opposed to what the world yoke is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a good question. Of course, none of our society today wants yokes, right? We're free! We're free! But if you don't know how to handle that, you enslave yourself to fill in the blank. Um, It's always easier to let someone else think for you. And just, you know, Pastor Steve and I talk a lot about now that we're leaving the United Methodist uh, denomination and moving into a new place, what yoke are we going to put on? You know, do we, we have freedom, so what do we do with it as a church? You know, we need to figure that out quickly. How do we pick up this yoke? I don't know. We're, we're Texans, so we're going to skew this. But do you do better if someone tells you what to do or you figure out what you want to do? True confessions. <laughs> the latter. <laughs> yeah. Wives notwithstanding, um, it's better to decide, I think. I think that's what God wants, honestly. Figure it out. Uh, do Be free. Know, know how to live. Oh, amen. A whole lot of medical bills. Uh, yeah. They heard Jesus saying, let me give you the fulfillment of Scripture. Not that he's trying to end Scripture, but he's giving you the ultimate interpretation. And they're hearing this. It's not just another rabbi. It's almost like a biblical moment that some of the big ones, like Joseph, like uh, they would say, Nehemiah, um, Ezra, they're giving you an interpretation that is huge. This is an event happening before us. So everything seems normal. And then 23. A man possessed by a demon was in the synagogue and began shouting. Okay, you ever been to one of those church services? (laughs) So Steve's not here. He tells the story so much better than I do. But in the middle of our first year of seminary in Kentucky. So we're outside Lexington, Kentucky. So we're right on the edge of civilization before it turns into eastern Kentucky, which is, I mean, it's wild, wild out there. So we live in this little little town called Wilmore. And it's basically a Christian college, Asbury, and a seminary, like 18 churches and a gas station. And that's all that the town is. So somebody gets the bright idea that they're going to bring to First Methodist in downtown Wilmore, well, in Wilmore, um, this 
crazy uh, Toronto revival people. I mean, this is this is crazy town. So all the seminary students, all the college students, go to these big revivals just to see it. I, I don't know if you know Maxie Dunham. He was the president of our seminary. <laughs> so I, I sat right next to him, just happened to be that as we filled in the room. And this woman came walking down the aisle, clucking like a chicken. <laughs> I mean, it was the craziest thing. I've been to bars in Mexico that were more normal and sedate than this stuff, okay? It was crazy down. Um, so that's what I always think of. You know, Jesus is giving this great teaching. He has Shimka, and then, bah! I'm possessed, I'm possessed. Um, I, maybe I should take this stuff more seriously, but I don't. It's It's crazy. So, lots of questions here. What is a possessed man doing in the synagogue? Um, and is that stuff, any of that stuff real? I mean, is it really real? Uh, I can tell you historically that this stuff was far more common in the sources and as crazy as this is going to sound, desired. People wanted to be possessed. Now that is the, the most counterintuitive things that we could possibly imagine. But you have to understand Greek uh, religion, especially popular religion. The Greeks have a word, and we borrowed the word and changed it. It's called demos. And they believe that there are spirits, we can call them genies, we can call them dead ancestors, but there's, there's a spirit world out there. And for particularly great people, these demos would attach their spiritual form to our spiritual form. And in a sense, the Greeks understand, I think, the way God created us and that we have a soul and we have a body. It's more complicated than that, but uh, we have a soul and we have a body. Our soul has a, a built-in connection, if you will, to the Holy Spirit. That's the way God designed us, right? So that He can exist with us. Other spirits can hijack that. They, they can sort of force their way in uh, and, and just muck up the things. So the Greeks seem to want this, to welcome this. Um, and as crazy as it sounds, they want to be possessed. They look for this to happen. You guys know what the Oracle of Delphi is? So it, it was one of the great sites in Greece where they, they believed they had an access point to the underworld. And today we know it's, it's a volcanic vent. And so they would sit a woman on a tripod, like I'm sitting on, but with three legs, and they would sit her over this vent, and they would watch all these little vapors come up. And they believed these vapors were spirits. And then uh, they would ask this woman, who's the oracle, you know, what's going to happen if I invade my fellow city? What is going to be the fate of my business? Am I going to have a son? All these things. And this woman who is sitting over basically an ethanol pipe, is high out of her freaking mind, and she's saying, blah, 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 
Um, it's a funny, funny story how they discovered this oracle. Uh, like I said, it was a natural fissure. Um, there's a historian, Diodorus Seculus, he's Roman, and he, he tells us um, it's actually the goats that found it. <laughs> uh, they talk about the tripod. Uh, make a long story short, um, so a herder is going out with his goats, and he knows, notice when his goats get over to this fissure, they they go crazy. And he goes, oh, they're possessed by a demos. They're, they're getting the moment, right? Um, and so people go over there, and then, ah, and then they start to have, woo, crazy time. So before long, they have to sort of coordinate off, and then they send one person over there. But as crazy as it sounds, they want this. It gives you power. It gives you an edge. It gives you knowledge that you wouldn't normally have. To show you how bizarre this is, let me take you over to Acts 16. You, you may know this, this story. Um, in this case, you've got some of the disciples. This is after Jesus. Uh, they're, they're out running around. Pick up in verse 16. They're in Ephesus. One day, as we were going down to a place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed alongside behind us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now in both cases, this one and the one we'll look at where Jesus casts his demons out, the demon is telling the truth. Now they do this in order to to, to catch us. Um, it's sort of like baiting the hook. You know, it's a real worm on the hook, but as soon as you begin to trust them, then they have you. The Greeks are used to listening to these demons. Um, demons have, from their perspective, you know, a bit of insight into the, what the future will be like. They have a little bit of insight that we don't. So they just give you this advantage. So this woman is running around doing, and most of the time they go into fits. At least this is the way the Greeks see it. Have you seen a static fits where they shake on the ground and they holler and scream and all that? that that's what they're talking about. Uh, this went on day after day, and Paul got so exasperated that he turned and spoke to the demon within her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace, the whole city in an uproar because of these Jews. So again, they were not excited that the demon had been cast out. They want these kind of things. Now what's happened to the word demos is that it's moved from this Greek idea of you have a spiritual helper, uh, a genie, um, to what Christians say that, yeah, there are spirits out there, um, but they're, they're demonic, they're evil. Um, a possession is a very evil thing. So again, this is what Jesus was changing about the world. In Galilee, because you have so many Greeks, so many Romans, they're doing this kind of stuff, I think you do have more prevalence of possessions because people are actively seeking it.
So let me just say, as Kurt, this is my opinion, this is in Scripture, I think 99.9999% of all this is crap. I think the Oracle of Delphi was really um, them sniffing ethylene and getting high as a kite, and God knows what they were saying. I know in Egypt, the temples had, when we excavated them, special uh, doors. Um, in the temple of Karnak, there's this, uh, it's basically like a horn in which a priest would stand behind the altar and who would speak through it. And so there's a lot of tricks and a lot of lies that's going on in this other religion business. So I think most of it's crap. But I think we have to take Scripture honestly, that there is that probably very small percent where we can get messed up with something very, very dangerous. And whereas Greeks were just saying, well, it's fortune tellers, you know, I'm just getting my palm read, or you see it more like African cultures or the Caribbean, even in Mexico we saw a lot of it, you know, the, the brujas, if you know, the witches, um, you know, they're going to channel the ancestors. God's really warning us, don't, don't do that stuff. You don't know what you're messing with. I mean, you, you could get into a bad, bad way. And if you think about it, a demon is the cheap alternative. We're designed to be temples of the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. That is really awesome. But it's hard it's really hard. Well, it's not hard for the Holy Spirit to come to you, but it's hard to live into that place. You have to learn how to make choices. You've got to take on a yoke. You've got to live the Scriptures. You've got to be Christ-like. It takes a lot of work. A demon's a shortcut. Hey, let's make a deal. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. I mean, from what we understand, the scriptural explanation, they want a body. Uh, the only way a demon gets out of hell is if he can find another source that chooses between good and evil. God is the ultimate source that decides between good and evil. He has made us sort of the little studies that can do that. So we, in the course of a day, can generate good or evil. That evil is the oxygen, if you will, for a demon. So if we choose it, we can open this house up, if you will, and it, it'll always end badly for us. That cheap, fast way to, to have that connection, the cheap, fast way to, to have meaning in life, I mean, even intimacy. Um, I, uh, confessions. Um, our house has been rocked recently. Lisa's just, uh, my wife has just finished, um, she's had actually four trials, three murders, and a sex case. And this is leftover from COVID. She's just trying to catch up in um, these big cases. But one of the huge ones she had was a stepfather uh, raped his 16-year-old daughter who he had raised from the time that she was three. And this SOB planned it. The wife was at work. He called in sick, but told the wife that she, or told the wife that he was at work. He went through the house and he turned off all 
all the cameras that they had, you know, the, the door ringers and stuff, very premeditated, very planned, and just monstrous. Um, and afterwards he says, well, she's young, she'll grow out of it, all this stuff. There's a reason they call my wife Lizzie Borden. Um, he got the hammer. Life sentence. Goodbye, you're not coming back. But you, you ask, how did you end up here? How did you end up raping your stepdaughter that you've known since a little child? One of the first things the police do in all these cases, just in case you wonder, is take this. Because everything really about you is on this. And so as Lisa went through this, you could see how he ended up where he ended up. It didn't start out the first day, oh, I'm going to do this. But this cheap way, this easier way of finding connection and intimacy, which I think in our modern society is pornography. And she could track, as far as the phone went back, that this is what he was looking at in pornography. And so he'd live this out over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and then finally he acted upon it. I really, guys, think it's, it's the same kind of thing. We find, as humans, these easier ways to do it. And it's just like a demon saying, come on, it's okay. It's no big deal. I'll tell you the truth. These are servants of the Most High God. Everything is good. And then step by step by step. So no, I don't think we have the demon possessions. At least I don't see it. But I think the demons have gone high tech. Uh, the demons are on the internet, so to speak. Uh, yeah. The demon told me the other day that she read watching the LSU game. Some of y'all may have saw this. I don't know, but there was a trailer in there from Disney that was called Demon Child. And it was a deal focused on their own kids. And they said it was awful talking about the, the demon children and they were they cut off their heads and do, do all kinds of stuff. And that was a that was uh, that's what Disney's coming out with. Disney! I don't know if anybody ever saw that or not. What's what you get We're watching LSU games, but... <laughs> you know, they, they were playing to their audience, let me just say. No, I kid. <laughs> it doesn't matter because they don't remember it. But. Yeah. They're just inching their way in. And in that, in that crazy that we're, we're trying to turn it back, you know, that Jesus helped us recover from this culture that was obsessed with this stuff, that he's stopping it. And so Christianity was the correction. And now we, we want to, we want to go back to it. We want to, want to sit back. Well, in Matthew, Jesus has, has none of it. Um, his response to the demon simply is, be silent, come out of the man. At that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion, but then he left. And so not only is Jesus sort of showing his kingdom that is going to defeat evil, but he's also pushing that evil world, that listen to demons and fortune tellers and all that crap. He's, he's pushing it back. So, Kirk, you're, and, and I agree with you. Yeah. What you're saying, you're saying this this gentleman was not really 
demonized. He did not really have a demon spirit in him. You're saying that's the 99.99% of the crowd. Is that what you're saying? I, I think I am, yeah. That this is probably a Hellenized Jew that's in the synagogue and uh, was was trying to make a big deal out of something and Jesus is um, do I think there are really demons running around in Jesus time yes and that he the ones he casts into the pigs and stuff like that but um, my Bible here talks about the people it emphasizes that because it says that Jesus wasn't ready to be made known to everybody Right. Although I, I really would stress, I don't think Jesus ever wants the testimony to who he is to come from these spiritual powers. Because then we think, oh, the oracle is, is okay. You know, the, the classic example of the oracle, and I think how all that really worked. Um, King Croesus says, hey, if, if I go to war, will I win? And so the oracle comes back and says, if you go to war, a great city will fall. So it's a trick, right? He goes to war, he loses, and then his city gets taken over. And the oracle says, eh, 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 eh. Um, a great city fell. <sighs> It, it, I think that's the crap. I mean, it's the trick uh, that we fall into. But I love your questions. It's, this is why I love doing this. It's good discussion. Any other comments? Any LSU games? I'm going to look for that demon. You know, it, was, it was on the internet, so you know it's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, man, amen. But Disney has lost its mind. I mean, it's they've. Um, when we were in Tulsa, we were first Methodist up there in a huge church. We were at the congregation one day, and they had a guy stand up. The pastor was talking, and the guy stood up and started saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. And all. We thought it was a skit. Yeah. And they finally brought somebody similar to what the guy was doing in the synagogue. You know, They brought the security in and escorted him out. I don't know if that's a demon-possessed guy or not, but it takes some courage to get up in front of a thousand people. For sure. That's why we have gatekeepers. And that's why we give them tasers. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you want to get slayed the spirit? <laughs> you go. Any other questions, comments? All right, well, let's, let's pray. Father of God, thank you for the reminder today that we live in a world that's still bigger than we imagine. And yet we still live in a world where most of our problems are caused by other people or by ourselves. Help us to navigate this crazy world that you have blessed again and again. Lord God, we know our country is something special, and we're proud of it. But like moths to the flame, we go back to that which hurts us over and over. Help us today to be your representatives, to really go out in this world and not be afraid of this stuff, because we know who protects us and how to resist it. Help us always, O oh Lord, to be remindful that what you teach is not what the world is ever going to teach.
that unless we're intentional, unless we be about Your Word, nobody else will. The world is not going to get better on its own. It's going to take us. It's going to take Your Spirit working through us. So help us, O Lord, to clean all those places in our life that we need to. To be mindful of the little steps that we take because they may lead us to a really dark place we never intended to go. Help us. In Your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.